difference. The Investment Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Know the difference with a local fee-only fiduciary partner for investment, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Website, AnnexWealth.com. And now, The Investment Show. And welcome to it. Good morning with Annex Wealth Management. I'm Paul Cronforst with your host today, Ken Sims, Branch Manager, Wealth Manager in the Mequon branch, one of many. We'll get to that in a bit. Also, Keith Butler, attorney and wealth manager, are live in studio. Good morning, gentlemen. Well, good morning, Paul. How are you? Good. Welcome back. Ken, I saw you. I just, yeah. I'm a frequent <laughs> flyer all of a sudden again. It's great to have you back. Yeah, Keith Butler, back. I saw you recently, too, so welcome back. Great to be back. Uh, Annex Wealth Management, many locations in the area, will cover individually later in the hour you can start with annexwealth.com a lot of information right at annexwealth.com ken you are that mequon office guy that's right i represent the mequon branch here but a lot of locations out there um today we're going to have our usual show we're going to uh, a lot of exciting things going to be checking in with some of our teammates of course we like to start the show with checking in with derek felsky our chief investment officer to see what's gone on in the markets this week with Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. We're going to talk about the market. You've been doing this a long, long time, so I'm sure you've seen crazier weeks, but this was a pretty crazy week. Yeah, it really reminds me of a lot of the volatility we saw in 2000 at the peak of the tech bubble with, with really sharp rotations from one sector to the other. Um, lots of headlines that are driving investors' decisions. A lot of fear. Uh, the fear and greed index, something I monitor, is at 34, which is a very low level. It's, kind of, it's the level at which you really should be preparing a shopping list because all of this concern about higher interest rates, what people are forgetting is higher interest rates is the Fed funds rate, not necessarily the long end of the yield curve, which is what really drives the valuation of stocks. Are there any unexplained when you look at things and it's just like, well, that makes no sense at all? Well, you know, the corporate fundamentals are the corporate fundamentals. They don't oscillate like markets do on a daily basis. Like, for example, can you imagine if your house had the value of it <laughs> on the front lawn right. every day and you came home and said, oh my God, I lost $10,000 today? I mean, that's how people react. People do not like to lose. They tend to sell their winners and hold on to their losers, and that's what's been going on. A lot of people were overweighted in some of these larger cap tech names. Facebook would be a prime example, which lost $200 billion in market cap in a single day. Is that a deck chair off the Titanic, or is that a, that's a huge amount? Yeah, I, th I think it's probably a little bit of an overreaction. I mean, they are investing towards the metaverse. They changed the name of the company, which probably was a mistake. Uh, but they, you know, they came up a little short, but, you know, that, that, that kind of discount warrants some attention. We're going to do some work on that company going forward. Were you surprised at any of the uh, other earnings reports that came in? Well, there were a lot of good ones. Um, Alphabet had a great quarter. They also announced a 20-for-1 stock split, so people buy it because they somehow think because it's cheaper, it's right. a better deal. Uh, that's foolish, but they did. Um, UPS had a great quarter, which tells you that the, you know, the the business environment remains strong. Microsoft had a good quarter. Tesla had a good quarter. PayPal, though, which was trading at 16 times revenues before their report, had a really lousy quarter with margins under pressure. And again, I caution people, when you're buying a company, if it's trading at more than 10 times revenues, you better have a very optimistic forecast for their future. 
Seems like Ford got roughed up a little bit, and that, that really was a production problem. That's an explainable thing on, on an otherwise decent company, isn't well, it? Well, right. Tesla did a much better job of managing the supply chain of semiconductors, as did General Motors. Ford did not. I mean, I have a friend of mine who's waiting on a Mustang that he ordered last September. He's been told he won't be able to get it till April, and they suggested they buy a different model of the Mustang, so he's looking into that. So Ford, I think, is, on, is in good footing. I think the CEO there is very strong. It, it's certainly a company that I think would... Uh, warrant attention uh, provided you do the fundamental work. We definitely have to talk about some of the financial figures that came in this week. Let's first start with that ADP private jobs, uh, the payroll survey, which they were forecasting, I think, 200,000 plus, and it came in at minus 300. Right. It was People really got whipsawed with the jobs reports this week. ADP looked terrible. In yep. fact, before the jobs report that was reported on Friday, uh, the White House essentially went out and said, look, you know, the economy's softening, the jobs market's a mess. But then, lo and behold, when the, when the report came out, employers added 467,000 jobs in January. The prior two months were up, revised up 700. Uh, the, the labor force participation rate went up to 60 2.2, which caused the unemployment rate to rise, you know, oddly enough, to 4%. But the, the labor market remained strong. And I think one of the things that happened is typically you see people lay off, you know, holiday hired workers, but they didn't do it this time because they need workers. They, they, there's a labor shortage out there due to Omicron and any number of other things, you know, what do you call it, the great resignation or whatever. So there's, you know, there's, there's a strong labor market as a backdrop. And these interest rates, I've done, we've said this any number of times, historically, when interest rates go up, it's usually because the economy is doing better. So people shouldn't fear interest rates as much as they do. Has the Fed said anything, or are people mostly uh, guessing what they're going to do? Well, the major banks are out there thinking the Fed the Fed may raise rates four to seven times this year. Uh, Jerome Powell has a history of being very gradual in his assessment of conditions. He's always talking about being data-dependent. So, yes, the odds of a 50 basis point hike in March are probably a little higher today than they were a week ago. But that's just getting the ball rolling. I mean, in the end of the day, if the economy remains on solid ground and the, and the fundamentals remain in place, the correction we've seen is actually putting stocks at a much more reasonable valuation level. And what I always say is when real interest rates are negative, you got to own stuff, whether it's art, Bitcoin, or stocks. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. Talk about heavy market cap stocks. Um, they distort things, don't they? Well, they do. I mean, when people look at indexes, and a lot of people invest in like the S&P Spider or the NASDAQ 100, the top five to ten names are a big chunk of the weighting of that index. And those companies, by and large, had a really good 2020 and a really good 2021. So investors who performance chase are all loaded up with those names. But the problem is the valuations of those companies have become a, a lot richer. I mean, Apple almost touched a $3 trillion market cap, and it's trading at 30 times forward earnings. I love Apple. I love the company. But at that valuation, it could go sideways for quite some time. Aren't they sitting on like $200 billion in cash? Some yeah, they're going to do... They're going to do Scott buybacks and the rest. Um, they've got, you know, a great ecosystem. We all know that. Um, you know, Google, as I mentioned, they're doing great in the cloud, as is Microsoft. So these are really good companies. But you, in order to make money, to actually beat indexes, you have to go elsewhere to some degree. I, I mentioned a lot of times on this show that last year the, the major averages masked the underlying weakness. Russell 2000 actually hit a bear market level. It was down 20% from its highs uh, last week. So under the underlying breadth of the market, 
market has been very weak and it's been masked by the strength of the big stocks which drive those indexes. For example, last year in the S&P 500, we only had a 5.4% drawdown from, from, a, from a high. That is very narrow. Usually you have a correction every 11 months of 10%. We almost got there on Monday um, and you know people are losing their heads because they got mm-hmm. complacent because volatility was low and they could just buy the dip and sell the rip. Well, this dip was a little deeper than many people thought it would be. Do you find people feel better when they know the company that they're buying? Because there's probably a lot of companies out there that you haven't heard of, but they're performers. Well, you know, there are good companies and then there are good stocks. You know, like yeah. Microsoft could be a terrific company going forward, but at its current valuation level, it's more challenging than it was when it was trading at half the multiple it currently is trading at. The other thing is, in January, the 60-40 portfolio did not work. Uh, the S&P was down about 5.5%, and so was the 60-40 portfolio because fixed income went down as well, which is why we've tried to steer away from interest rate sensitive fixed income to fixed income that's more dependent on credit conditions. So as long as you believe they're not going to have a recession in the next 6 to 12 months, you want to have credit sensitivity in fixed income, not interest rate duration risk. Our investment committee meets regularly. I know you you guys work as a team. I was shocked to find out that there's actually investment firms that farm that out. They don't have that in-house. Right, and I think that's one of the strengths of Annex Wealth Management. When a a person comes in here, whether it's a client or a prospect, they can meet with members of the investment team face-to-face to to get a real sense of, you know, how we do things and why we do them, whereas not some far-flung you know, office in New York where they're basically giving you a buy list and you call yourself a portfolio manager, but in reality, you're just basically an order taker because you're just going to follow those directives. And, you know, people want to want to know who's managing their money. They want to get a sense of them and understand what their process is. In our final minute or so, what's on the horizon? Well, we've got that CPI report coming next week. It's oh going to be it's yeah. going to be a bad number. Um, but I think, again, the market has already sniffed that out. I believe um, the, the thing that's going on with CPI is the good side of it was the spike. You know, aluminum prices, used car prices, uh, the price of hotels, and the rest. But that's only about twenty five percent of CPI. The bigger part of it is owner equivalent rent, which tends to lag housing prices. We know housing prices have been very strong, and rents have been moving up. So that's a key component. CPI. The other one is wages. Wages are up 5.7% on a year-over-year basis. That's in the the numbers, too. But again, the market knows this. The interesting thing is when you look at the implied inflation rate in TIPS, which are Treasury inflation-protected securities, they're assuming the five-year run on inflation will be around 2.6%, well below the current readings. So the bond market believes inflation is going to subside, but from a higher level than we saw previous. Let's just talk oil real quick right at the end, and I don't watch oil prices, but I know when they go up, because all of a sudden gas is, what, 314, 319? Well, it's that, it's that price here, but it's over 5 bucks in California, where everybody's driving all the time. Uh, oil prices got to $92 this week. Um, a lot of the frackers have been silenced, in a sense. You know, the Biden administration has really been kind of unfriendly to the oil industry, so there are structural issues that could cause oil prices significantly advance, particularly when you think about what happens after Omicron passes, right? We're going to have a stronger economy here. That'll lead to oil demand. People will be taking airplanes. That leads to more oil demand. Overseas in Europe, right now, the utilities are allowed to pass along a 53% energy price increase in the UK. Think about that. If you make the average amount of money as an American or a UK citizen, that's a big bite. That's a tax sure That's is. a tax hike. And that does retard growth. So you know, everybody seems to like the energy stocks. We certainly have a couple of them in our equity income strategy and in our large cap strategy. But it's probably an under-owned sector. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're very welcome, Danny. 
So again, great insight by our chief investment officer. A lot of conversations with our clients on this, Keith. A lot of, you know, hey, here's here's that injection of volatility. We've been talking about it for years. Get ready for this. Really, when we had when the COVID drop happened in in really bottomed out in March of 2020, we've had this tremendous rally. And what we've tried to be doing with our clients is coaching them, look, there could be a pullback, there can be a correction. Correction, remember, Paul, quiz? Correction is 10 to 20% exactly. downward. Very good. So not necessarily tied to recessionary pressures, not necessarily heading towards that bear market, the 20% or more, which is usually tied to recessionary pressures. This is that injection of volatility, normal market structure, and you have to be prepared for that. Right, and and that's what we do. What we're doing with our clients is showing them that risk. Exactly, and so much of it is emotional. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody just the other day about how you know a lot of people they just fret. They look at their account balances every single day. They fret when the market's going up because hey, it's it's so high, it's, it's got to come down, right? Yeah. Then they fret when it's going down because oh my god, I'm losing money. I just lost twenty thousand dollars last week or or whatever it is on their portfolio. So th- there's just this constant. It's it's an emotional thing much more than rational, and that's why I think that you see some of the violent swings in the market is 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 its emotion. And it says oh okay. You know, it's it's like you know. Remember when Brexit hit? Oh, was that four or five sure. years ago? That that yeah. day they announced that Britain was going to do this, and the market just tanked in one day. Came back the next day because people realized, who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. Emotions do drive the market, Ken. There's no doubt about it. But how long does it last? Yeah, and and that's just it. It's a short-lived thing. And I th- always think of it and talk with clients about this. If you are invested and especially in the equities market, where the next day, you it, if you look at a statement, it may have less money being reported in there than what you started with. It's obviously going to make you emotional, right? Because this is your hard-earned savings, and that's not what you want to see. But what you try to do is give them those weapons that they can use to try to deal with that emotion. And I think one is have a good understanding of what the risk is on your portfolio and have a good understanding what's a reasonable projection that your portfolio can be in in the next six months. And that's an exercise we do with clients. We say, hey, on a score of 1 to 100, here's where you are. And here's the range that you have a 95% probability of being in in the next six months. So if that range for that particular risk score is, say, down 10% and up 15%, and we go through a January like we just went, and a 60-40 portfolio is down 5.5%, I'm not getting calls from clients because I just reviewed with them and said, hey, this is reasonable. And they're looking at it going, that's right. I, I had control over that risk score. We reviewed that. This is a reasonable projection for what I meant. The second weapon that people can use is don't, don't think of it like that brokerage account where you're just opening up a statement and you're so surprised by what the value is of your account. Take it and relate it to a long-term financial plan. And that's what we're doing with clients. It's not about what happened in the month of January of 2022. We're looking at your cash flow from now until life expectancy, which may be going out till 2060, 2055, 2050. And this little blip on the radar isn't going to make, it's not going to make a difference, right? You're, that's why investing works for retirement money because you have a long term time horizon. And as long as you set all this up and relate it to that long-term financial plan, you'll be a much more successful investor. And when we present our investment performance to clients, we get to choose the, the software we use, we get to, present, to uh, choose the time frame. And I always go back to inception. Yeah. You know, even people have been with, with us for 
five, six, seven, eight years or more. Let's look at how this is done long term, because that's exactly right, Ken, because this is what this uh, uh, this has done for you and for your plan and you'll see those little dips as you see you know back when when the pandemic hit a couple of years ago you know and uh, you know right now a smaller dip but you'll when in the long run you'll see what it's done for your plan yeah and that's that's an exercise you can do too is sometimes people look at it and say well last month when when i had gotten to the highest i've ever gotten you know i looked at my account values and they were one million dollars and now it's nine hundred eighty thousand. So I've lost twenty thousand. Well, you haven't lost anything. Oh, that's I, just a number on a paper. That's one of my yeah. pet peeves when I hear people sure. say that. Well, but I understand you, that. I, I get it too. They see their account balance go down, but yeah. they're not unless they're retiring and they're cashing out or or they're right. Yeah, and <laughs> and here's the way to think about it too. You didn't lose twenty thousand. Your net investment number. So how much you've put in less any distributions plus any contribution was 400,000, right? So it went from 400 to a million and now it's at 980. You haven't lost 20,000. You have because you've you've taken that road and you've looked at it as a long-term investment. You know that you're actually up and that's 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 what makes you a successful investor. Hey, Keith, we talked about emotions before. Yeah. That's an example of your emotions. Mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, it's it's real money. I get it. But again, your balance is always going to fluctuate. If I look at my 401k, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. It's the big picture I think you should be looking at. Am I right, Ken? Yeah, and we talk about people coming in and sitting down with us and get that free portfolio review, uh, the creation of a wealth metric, the uh, look at your portfolio and, and let's do an analysis of it. And you have to put the investments. I know it's one that people concentrate on, but you have to put it as one component of that overall wealth management plan. When we come back from our first break, we're going to look at another component of the wealth management plan. That's the, you know, estate planning, tax planning. And another component that people look at is insurance planning. As a fee-only fiduciary firm, we don't sell insurance products. We're not here to make commissionable products. We're on the same side of the table, and we don't have those conflicts of interest. And we put that in writing with our clients. But yet that's a big component of people's overall wealth management plan. Do you have life insurance? Do you have a need for that death benefit? Do you have, do you bought whole life insurance and it has cash value? Maybe your need for life insurance is dissipating and need for other insurance like long-term care is coming up. Do you have disability insurance? All these things. And look at it from a fee-only fiduciary as part of your overall wealth management plan. What do you need? How can you place it? And what are the options out there? That's what we're helping. We have that expertise here at Annex and we have people that just work on insurance have that knowledge and are sitting down with our clients and reviewing that with them all without that conflict of interest because we're not going to sell you a product. Hey, you talked about hearing from some of your team members throughout the show in studio, Ken Sims and Keith Butler from Annex Wealth Management. I'm going to tease this topic because I yeah. love this. In fact, I asked you for advice before the show started, yeah. and that is, should you pay off your mortgage? I would say... That, it, you know, out of all the questions that we get, especially now, that's one of the ones that we get a lot. So we'll talk about that when we come back in the second half of the hour. That's a great. You get that question a lot. Yeah. I hear people talk about, should I pay off the mortgage? We're going to address that and more coming up as we continue. Remember, AnnexWealth.com, the website, a lot of information. You can sign up for their Axiom newsletter, their YouTube link, all the social media links, AnnexWealth.com. We'll be back on WISN.
WISN with Annex Wealth Management. A few texts that we're going to get to before the end of the show with Keith Butler and Ken Sims. Uh, boy, a lot to talk about, including should I pay off that mortgage? Also, an insurance discussion, Ken. Yeah, that component of your overall wealth management plan. I think I did a good enough job teasing this. So uh, let's talk a little bit, Keith, about how we work with clients on their insurance analysis. Yeah, that's right. And I'm I'm not the expert. We have experts here on our planning team that are chartered life underwriters and do the we start off with a needs analysis. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, what do these folks need? Because when you get get uh, to the point of considering an insurance product whether it's an annuity, life insurance, long-term care, why? What are, what problem are you trying to solve? And um, you know, with annuities, I know they, they've 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 got a bad reputation in many respects. Some of them are high cost. You know, we do a review. I had a client who inherited six annuities from her father, and she came to us and said, "What do I do with these? And they're thick, and some are qualified, some are non-qualified." And it's like, so we send it off to our our expert, and he said, "Okay, these two just cash in. These two." You, you combine into a uh, inherited IRA, and these two, we're going to get into another annuity, low cost, no commission. Yeah. So uh, that's the sort of analysis that we do. Not good versus bad. But we can look at these products. Sometimes they have re- uh, redemption periods, so there's nothing you can you know really do for a number of years. But we start with what, what problem are you trying to solve? And that gets, gets me to life insurance. Because a lot of times people, and I'm sure you guys have heard this over the years, always buy term and invest the rest, right? You don't want to get some sort of a what I'll call permanent insurance, whether it's universal life, uh, whole life, you know, variable annuity, what have you. But that's not necessarily true. It's what pro- what problem are you trying to solve with this insurance? For example, if you think this is insurance, I'm young, I'm insurable, I want to lock in some now, I'm going to have a family, um, and I want to make sure that I have this to protect them for the rest of my life. That's not going to end. That may be uh, leading to a permanent universal life sort of product that will be there for a long time, You pay the premiums for a while, and then after a while, you get cash in there. You may not have to pay them again. As opposed to, gosh, my kids are, I got little kids now. I want to make sure if something happens to me that their education is covered. That's a perfect uh, uh, recipe for a term policy, say 20-year term, because then at 20 years, you know, now they're out of college. Now that need has gone away, so there's no reason to get a more permanent uh, policy on that, right? You think in general Americans are underinsured in this regard, Keith? Uh, yes, because you know I spent many years as an estate planning attorney before I got into this field, and um, the, one of the, the key components of that of the estate plan is life insurance. And uh, you know, as a life as a, an estate planner, I always loved it because it can solve a lot of problems, mm-hmm. right? If if someone dies, there's the cash. You don't have to worry about where else it's coming from, especially if you have somebody who owns a business or a farm or something like that. It's re- it's really ideal. Um, and one thing that we do look at, because if you think, okay, one of the, the biggest reasons for getting life insurance is to protect the life of the breadwinner, right? So that if something happens to the breadwinner, salary gets cut off. So here's the life insurance to replace that. And, um, you know, that, that's something that if you have a permanent type policy, that end, okay, so when you retire, that need is going to go away, Right. But if you've got this, this insurance policy with cash built up in it, when we've done this many times, and I'm sure you've had clients with this too, Ken, that we looked at and we said, hey, here's what you can do. You've got, I'll make up a number, $60,000, $70,000 of cash in this policy. We can do a tax-free exchange to another type of policy that has a long-term care benefit. Okay? Because now that's something that you may need. You know, and the way this works is, let's say the death benefit was half a million dollars. 
Okay, so that means that in this new policy, you may be able to advance, quote unquote, up to $500,000 for long-term care. So there's a lot of, of alternatives, a lot of options, a lot of flexibility, and that's how we look at these sorts of insurance products. And, and I think you raised a lot of good points too, because sometimes there is just this very blind, hey, all annuities are bad, or all whole life insurance is bad. And insurance in general too, you. you if you're looking at like what is the goal of term insurance and that is hey if there's a premature death we want to replace income and you can go so far as saying we want to cover a mortgage or debt or college funding and stuff like that but these these policies can can their goals can change right you could mm -hmm. so you could have a whole life insurance where now you're in retirement you don't have to replace income but you're looking at your assets and you're saying Boy, we'd really like to uh, uh, build a cabin or purchase this property or something like that, where without the insurance component, that would fail a financial plan. But it, because you're keeping a whole life insurance policy in place, where maybe the goals have shifted, now the remaining spouse, it's pretty much, it looks really positive that you could, you could achieve that goal. So, the, you know, the, the need for death benefit can change over time. And that's why everybody's insurance analysis must be really tied to their personal financial plan rather than general advice, which in general can work for a lot of cases, but in general advice might be like, hey, you don't need death benefit anymore. Get rid of that. Take the cash value out of that life, whole life insurance and get rid of the death benefit. Well, no, everybody's different. Right. And the answer is always, it depends, right? Yeah. <laughs> it comes it, down to it. It does it depend, though, because each person is different case by case uh, the, we've got some text questions to get to but I also know that with Keith Butler Ken Sims you wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about this mortgage topic because you get this question uh, does it pertain to cars too? Do you ever get sure. I pay off this car? Any no. type of debt, really, and and that's what's interesting. What on the mortgage side? What's interesting is you know our parents' generation. It was very much the idea that you don't go into retirement with debt. We have to pay off the house. We have to have no mortgage, and that's changed. There are plenty of people that are maybe they're putting a they're refinancing their house even if they had a, you know they have a lot of equity because they want to do a remodel right before retirement because the, because they're saying this is our permanent retirement home and we want it to look the way we want it to mm -hmm. look or they're purchasing that second property and they're putting a thirty year mortgage on at sixty years of age and you can do that right because the cost of money is so low right now with interest rates they will spread that that payment out but the question becomes is you still have people that go in into retirement and they're like hey we have x amount of dollars left on this mortgage does it make sense to pay it off and this segment is exactly what can address that know the difference with annex wealth management we're going to talk about paying off a mortgage and why that makes sense and why it might not make sense joining me eric strom cfp and a financial planning manager at annex wealth management welcome back to the show Thanks for having me, Danny. So the ballpark figure I've seen is about 64% of Americans owning a home. And owning a home typically means having a mortgage. And a mortgage is typically the largest debt a consumer will have. In your experience, is it a realistic goal to pay off a mortgage as soon as possible? I know that's a loaded question. Well, it's it comes down to those famous words in financial planning. It depends. Yep. Right. There's so many factors. How old are you? How much longer are you going to work? Where are interest rates? And many, many more factors as well. So our president and CEO, Dave Spano, will always talk about the head and the heart. I guess that gets the heart part gets into the mental aspect of paying off a mortgage. But again, sometimes it depends. It might not make sense. But what about the heart part? The psychology aspect of this is crucial because many financial planners say, 
don't pay off a mortgage because the rate is so low, so you can invest and earn more than that, right? I mean, we've all heard that, but it's not that simple because for many people, paying off their mortgage provides a huge sense of relief and a peace of mind, and you just can't ignore that factor. Maybe wipe that debt. You do have a lot of cash flow freed up that can be deployed in other ways. That That's one financial aspect, right? Right. That's one of the financial aspects. And also another, mortgage rates are historically very low right now, and your mortgage rate is likely pretty low. Another factor is the younger you are, the more you have compound interest and time on your side. So for a younger person, maybe it's contributing to that Roth IRA that might be an attractive alternative to paying down the mortgage. Here's another factor to consider. How far into the loan are you? Because remember, mortgage interest is weighted towards the front of the loan. So where you are in the loan is an important consideration. Another one, and this is a big one, if you were to pay it off, Danny, where would the money come from? Mm. There might be tax considerations to where you might pull that money to make a large payoff of your mortgage. So I was in my mid-30s and I left a company and was involved in their company stock program and and had had a windfall, I guess I'd call Mm -hmm. it. Without talking to a financial planner, I paid the mortgage off and I still wonder if that would have been a good idea or a bad idea, but mentally it was kind of nice to kind of clear my mind. I don't remember, but how many mortgages have prepayment penalties? Is that something people need to research? Yes, because some lenders do charge a prepayment penalty when some or all of your mortgage is paid off. And it's important to check the fine print of your mortgage just to make sure uh, whether or not you actually have that prepayment penalty. Annex Wealth Management, we work with a wide variety of clients in in various ages. Is there a rule of thumb about being mortgage-free at retirement? Does that matter? Well, I have to address the elephant in the room. It is very common to consider taking a large distribution from a pre-tax account, so an IRA or a retirement plan at work, in order to pay off your mortgage. That is incredibly common that people are considering that. But that decision could have significant, and I mean significant, tax ramifications. So it's incredibly important to make sure that wouldn't derail the success of your financial plan. That's something to think about. But if you set that issue aside, some planners say, you know, you asked about rule of thumbs, Danny. So some planners say, always pay off your mortgage by retirement, or maybe even before retirement. On the other extreme, some financial planners, including some very prominent ones, say hold a mortgage for your entire retirement, even deep into retirement. What's the true answer? I think that the actual answer is in between and does depend on your specific situation, all the various factors we're talking about today. Eric Strom is a CFP and a financial planning manager at Annex Wealth Management. Uh, This gets into those planning questions that we might get from clients when we review assets. Does having a 30-year or 15-year, does that make any difference? Do we we advise on that? It does make a difference because, remember, mortgage interest is weighted towards the early years of the loan. So you want to know where you are in your loan. And even though you might have a 30-year or a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage, did you know, Danny, that the average mortgage is held for significantly less than 10 years because Mm. of refinancing or paying it off early. So yes, it does matter because that 15 year, although it has the higher payments, you've got generally making a lot more progress on paying down that balance. So that is an important consideration for sure. And then there's people that kind of shorten the mortgage just by paying extra toward the principal. Do we see that? Yeah. And for the right person in the right situation, extra principal payments can make sense. Because what you're doing when you do that is those extra principal payments are reducing the, mm-hmm. the balance. And then when the interest is calculated next month, it's lower. 
So, but you've got to weigh that decision against other options for allocating your dollars because it's not always the right choice. You you kind of sort of got at it, and again, this is what the financial planning team does at Annex Wealth Management. But don't let getting that mortgage paid off make you forget about other goals that might be a little bit more important. Credit card debt, student debt. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, IRAs of, of various types, things like that. Yeah, it's important to consider the interest rate of the debt that you're considering paying off. High interest rate debt has to take a higher priority. If you've got a credit card at 18% interest, you've got to look at that first. But also, don't forget about retirement savings. The younger you are, the more time you have on your side to have that compound interest. Your money can grow and double and double again when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s. But once you're in your 50s and beyond, it does become a viable option to talk with your financial planner about potentially paying down that mortgage a little more aggressively. For investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Eric Strom, CFP and financial planning manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks, Danny. Okay, we are back. It's News Talk 1130 WISN with Annex Wealth Management. A quick programming note. This show is rebroadcast Sundays at 1 p.m. We are live every Saturday. So it's 11.45 on a Saturday. We're live. Ken Sims in studio with Keith Butler. I do want to cover the locations real quickly, and then we got a question or two to answer. Elm Grove, you're right on Blue Mountain, Ken. That's your headquarters? Yep. In Lake Country, you got a Delafield office. Um, Mequon, which is your location, branch manager. Appleton, downtown Milwaukee, inside the Fister, you will see Annex Wealth Management. That's a beautiful location. Madison, Wisconsin, Naples, Florida, Libertyville, Illinois. As I said, Keith Butler is here, wealth manager and attorney at Annex, and Ken Sims, branch director, wealth manager in Mequon. All right, so here's the text. Peter in Wabaka. Do you know where Wabaka is? I do, sure. You do? Yeah. Uh, birthplace of Flag, flag Day. Flag Day. Yep. Near big, Fredonia. Big parade every year. That is exactly yep. correct. The Flag Museum is in Wabaka. So Peter's got a question. I'll just read it directly and have you guys answer it. It is... Okay. Is it a good time, guys, to hold on to cash? So... What we see with a lot of people that have cash positions right now is it, there's been a shift in sentiment. Cash, of course, is it's a good counterweight to what's going on in the market. You know that if you have X amount of dollars in your bank account, whatever's going on in the market, you can always open up your statement and, you know, full circle to what we were talking about earlier, that number is not going to go down. The problem a little bit with that now is the conversation revolves around having inflation. So five years ago, when you had X amount of dollars in the bank and you held on to it for a year and CPI, consumer price index, is sub 1%, you don't feel too bad about that because you're saying, well, I didn't really lose purchasing power. I didn't lose much purchasing power. What you're seeing in the equities market, I think, is a function of maybe higher inflation. Equities are a good place to go when inflation is higher because now, if you, say, have $100,000 in the bank and you wait a year and inflation is 6%, you kind of feel like the purchasing power is really $94,000. So that makes people react. And that's why you're kind of seeing, Derek mentioned in his uh, segment, the, the idea of buying the dip and selling the rip. So 
every time in September, the end of the year, and we'll probably see it, I think maybe we've seen the start of it, this dip, is that when we have prices go down a little bit, a big influx of cash comes into that equities market because people are buying it up because they don't want cash to be on the sidelines. In general, when you have higher inflation periods like we have now, no, you don't want to be in cash because you're losing that purchasing power. Yeah, and uh, the rule of thumb is usually six months of cash. You know, six months of your expenses you want to have in cash. The rest of it is really like an part- emergency fund. Emergency. Exactly. Yeah. And the rest of it, you, you start looking at it as part of your in, your portfolio mix. You know, you have so much in equity, so much in fixed income, so much in cash. So I think that you know, the question gets to market timing as well. Sure. Should I keep cash because I think the market's going down? Or should I get out of cash because I think the market's going up? You know, one bit of advice when we're talking about risk tolerance of our clients is that, you know, go by what your gut is overall. You know, how do you, what's your inclination toward risk overall? And uh, don't go by what you think is going right now. That's the only bit of advice I give because some people use their, their risk tolerance as a market timing device. And... You know, that's a, kind of a dangerous game. Time in the market. I mean, you're speculating. You're guessing. Yeah. I, there's, I, I get it. There's day traders. There's guys that do this for a living. Yeah. In your world, Ken, I don't think that's not what we're talking exactly. about. Exactly. We're talking about investing money for, for the long term. And to Keith's point, I probably should have started that with that. So in general, you know, having cash on the sidelines, what are, what's the goal for that? Is it a long-term goal? Is it the idea of I can expose this to equity exposure because I'm not looking at really utilizing this money in the next three, five years or something like that, or the idea of having a mixed portfolio where maybe I am going to utilize a portion of this money, but I have shorter time frames, whether that be 12 months, one year, two years on a certain segment, and I could have that be in fixed income, and then I'm at least getting some sort of yield, some overall yield on that versus keeping into the bank. So do tight, so bigger picture conversation is take that cash tie it to your overall financial plan and what are the goals for that but in general right now it's hard to it's hard to justify being in cash because we just are in this it's it's not an environment we've seen as of late and it's going to be interesting to see how investors uh, are challenged with it but we have still historically low interest rates but inflation is part of the conversation and versus what we were talking about last year uh, up a certain component of this inflation is sticky. It's not transitory. It's going to be here for a little while. And, and we're in inflation right now. Uh, I still find it fascinating going back to, to should I pay off that mortgage? Yeah. Or maybe it's the car balance, whatever it is. Uh, or take that money and instead of paying it off, invest it. Is it a generational thing? I, there's something to what you said before, Ken. Oh, I absolutely think that. You know, here's a, here's a way to, uh, an anecdote about that. Remember when our parents' generation, it was a big deal when you uh, paid off the mortgage and you had a mortgage-burning party? Mm-hmm. People used oh, to actually burn yeah. the paperwork and be I like... I heard the stories. Sure. They'd have a lot of fun with that. You don't hear about those parties anymore. No, because, you haven't. Because it's not that big of a deal because people are carrying debt into retirement. And back to exactly what we're talking about with inflation and re- interest rates, it, it's because interest rates are lower and it's not that bad of an, uh, it's not bad debt to have. Well, in general, I mean... Everybody's got some credit card debt that they haven't. That's bad debt to have. That's horrible <laughs> debt to have. I remember my mom saying to my first credit card going to right around college age, 19 or 20, pay yeah. that monthly. Or do you realize how much interest you're paying? That $100 piece of clothing you bought is actually $118. Mm-hmm. I told that same story to my kids. 
And they kind of they had that look, their eyes glazed over. Because they were like, what piece of clothing can you buy for $100? <laughs> Maybe that's why <laughs> they, they did. They didn't understand that portion of the story. Uh, it's a great question, though, it really is, whether it's your house or your, or, or your car, whatever it is, whatever debt you have. We'll take a quick break, and then we're going to come right back on WISM. If you go to AnnexWealth.com, You'll see all the locations. Phone numbers 262-786-6363. You'll also see their YouTube channel. Their weekly newsletter, e-newsletter called The Axiom. Sign up for that. It's free. I do. I get it weekly. It's full of information. Again, it's all at AnnexWealth.com. Trolls. First off, we're not done, but fantastic show today, full of great content, as always, with Annex Wealth Management. Keith Butler is here and Ken Sims. You know, the mortgage thing, all of that we talked about. Final comments as we wrap up the show, the market conditions, inflation. Ken, the floor is yours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, I'm going to go into that. You know, there's always a wall of worry with investing. I talked a lot today about the idea of a financial plan. Utilize Annex Wealth Management. There's no obligation. Come in, visit it with us. We're going to sit down. We're going to look at your financial plan. We're going to create a financial plan. We've got the wealth metric, the idea of looking beyond just that financial plan, beyond just the cash flow. You know, where where do we see areas that you can start looking at, uh, planning for, and controlling your risk on? Let's take a look at your investments. Let's see how you're allocated. Let's see where there might be risk there. Or where where could there be improvements in your portfolio? Come in, sit down with us, go to AnnexWealth.com, hit that Get Started button. Very easy. You can schedule right online. You can look directly on our calendars and get something scheduled to come on in. Like I said, no obligation. I repeat that because this isn't a hard sale. This isn't a sales call. We're not going to be harassing you or anything like that. We want to sit down, explore if Annex can be of value to you and your family in your retirement planning that's what we're here for. Yeah, it's a complimentary portfolio review. If you've never worked with an advisor, why wouldn't you do this, Ken? Just to get a glimpse, kind of a second set of ears, exactly. second set of eyes, take yeah. a look at it. Um, also, there's some events coming up that we really didn't dive into, but you've got an events tab on your website. So just go there. It's AnnexWealth.com. The biggest thing people wonder, can I retire? Well, we'll tell you. Exactly. Uh, We will tell you. That's right. Well, that's, I'm getting to that age, Ken. Yeah, I know you are. I mean, you still think shirts are a hundred bucks and. Aren't they, aren't they not honored? No, was, all right. Thanks, guys, for for joining us today. Now, remember, this show is rebroadcast every Sunday at 1 p.m. We're back next Saturday at 11 o'clock live with Annex Wealth Management. Keith Butler, have a great weekend. You too, Paul. Thanks. Ken Sims, enjoy that. You watching a Pro Bowl? We were just talking about that. No. Nobody was, does. Was that emphatic enough for you? <laughs> Remember, we were joking years ago. If there was one Packer on the team. It used to be a big deal when we saw that Packers helmet, when we saw John Jefferson's helmet out there, and that was our only representative yeah. on the Pro Bowl team. There's Lofton. I, yep, see, the, the, Lofton. I see the Green Bay James helmet. Kaufman. Kaufman was yep. in the, and now it's like, eh, who cares? Super Bowl next weekend, of course. Hey, we're out of time for today. News is coming up next on WISN Milwaukee.
The Investment Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation.